0: Hello church, it is, let's do that again. Hello church. It is so great to see you, whether you're here at Lenexa Speedway, watching online. For those of you who are new, we're super excited to have you. We we just finished an amazing service last week, Resurrection Sunday. It was really cool, full of energy. And we also completed an experience called One, an Eight-Week Journey uh, with churches all over Kansas City, all over the world for that matter. And one of my favorite things was this video, this uh, film on the life of Jesus that overlays word for word the gospel of Mark. Mark and some of you were in a watching group where you saw these six episodes and and, and we showed many of the clips uh, here in the services over the eight week period of time and it was really cool and inspiring because Jesus actually looked Jewish. You know, which is really kind of cool because Jesus was not blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy that maybe some of you grew up with like, like I did. Um, he looked Jewish, and the film was made by a friend of mine named Hannah Leader, who lives in London over the course of many years, and it was filmed actually in Morocco, not in Jerusalem, not in Israel, and, and it just inspired me. Man, I would really like to take some Westsiders to Israel. And so... I've scheduled the dates. We already have the uh, uh, hotels reserved. So mark down the calendar, April 22nd through May the 1st of 2022. uh, Trip of a lifetime. I will go and teach with you along with a very expert tour guide. And uh, we are going to have an awesome experience. So mark that down. Cool. Now, speaking of Israel, there was a man uh, who took his wife and his mother-in-law over Israel. And unfortunately, while they were there, uh, the mother-in-law passed away. And the funeral director comes to the man and says, well, you have two options. Uh, One option is that you can uh, send her body back to the United States uh, for $5,000 and she could be buried there. Or you can um, keep her here and she could be buried in the Holy Land, the beautiful Holy Land for only $500. And the guy thought about it for a a moment and he says, let's go ahead and send her back to the United States. And the funeral director was a bit bewildered and he says, why would you do that? Why would you do that for $5,000 when for $500 she could be like here forever in Jerusalem? And the man immediately responded back, well, I heard that 2,000 years ago there was this guy who died and three days later he rose from the dead. He said, I can't take that chance. Now, that is so wrong on so many levels as an opening story. I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it, so wrong. Well, for number one, I don't know about you, but I love my mother-in-law. If you're with me, raise your hand. You love your mother-in-law. And by the way, if she's sitting next to you, would you just raise your hand, okay? <laughs> Be wise, right? Okay, the second reason that this is wrong is because I think this guy understands the what of the resurrection. The what of the resurrection? Jesus died and rose again on the third day. But I don't think this guy really understands the why of the resurrection. Why did Jesus die? You see, this is, without argument, the single greatest event in human history. Last week, an estimated 2.2 billion people gathered to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus in great cathedrals, in underground churches, and now even online, because many people get the why. Here's the why. Why? Uh, Jesus' resurrection conquered death once and for all. Jesus' death conquered it. And here's the good news, that whenever you place, transfer your faith from yourself or to whatever else to Jesus, you also cheat death's eternal sentence against you through faith in Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but that's why this thing is a big deal. This why this thing is a big deal. I cannot think of anything bigger so many people know the what of the resurrection some people know the why of the resurrection but I'm pretty sure that a lot of people don't know the how of the resurrection how did Jesus pull this off how did he pull it off well you need to know that the answer is more important than you might at first glance think And I want to begin by saying that the how begins with a who. The how begins with the who. In the writings of 1 Peter, he is going to tell us this, give us this insight. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. We got the what? We got the why. Now here is the newsflash. The newsflash is that Jesus didn't raise himself from the dead. The how? If you're taking notes, the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Not only do we see this in First Peter chapter three, but it's confirmed in Romans eight eleven and Ephesians chapter one verses eighteen through twenty. And we'll talk about those passages in just a moment. But I always assumed that Jesus, who is God, and he most certainly is God, just raised himself from the dead, but now we have verified in multiple occasions that in fact it was the Holy Spirit who raised him from the dead. So the big question, at least for me, becomes, why didn't Jesus, as God, just do this for himself? Why didn't he just do it for himself? And this may not be the burning question this week on your mind amidst all the other things that you're having to deal with, but when you learn the answer to the how and the implications to this, I think it's going to become the most important question a person can ask. And I believe the clue is found in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, as we learn about Jesus' arrival as a baby to our earth. But before I dive into this ancient passage, which is actually, Philippians chapter 2 is actually a hymn that the church sang, I want to give you a personal illustration that I think might help to create some handles to understand sort of this rich theological aha moment that I'm wanting you to have regarding the nature of Jesus and his arrival to our earth and what he did in his life. A couple of years ago, Roseanne and I were having dinner with some old friends of ours that we had not seen in a long time. And so we had made reservations at a really nice fancy restaurant and certainly expensive according to my wallet. And we got together with them and uh, we got to catch up with them on, and retell old stories and catch up on old gossip and to laugh and to cry and all over a great meal. And when the waiter came and gave us the check, I went to my coat pocket to find my wallet, only to discover that I had left it back home. Yeah, I had left it back home, and I had to stiff my good friends, which we hadn't seen in a long time with the entire bill, right? Well, they used to be good friends, right? (laughs) And, And so now, now here's the deal. When I got back home, I had the power And the resources to pay for the bill, and wrote a check not only for my portion, but for the entire check. Okay? This little episode, as humiliating as it was for me, and more for Roseanne, gives us a pretty decent analogy of what Jesus did when he made his reservation to come to earth. We might say that there was a big wallet of resources that Jesus left back home when he came to earth. I want you to listen carefully to Paul's words regarding a decision that Jesus made when he left the heavens, seated next to the Father on a throne. Philippians chapter two, beginning in verse six. Who, speaking of Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Now lean in. This passage is saying that Jesus is 100% God. As a matter of fact, it's saying and suggesting to us that Jesus existed before he was born i mean that's mind-blowing who else can say that jesus existed before he was born and john's gospel confirms this at the very opening in chapter one in the beginning was the word speaking of jesus and the word was with god and the word was god he was with god in the beginning But when Jesus came to our earth, he did not want to take advantage of the amazing resources he has available to him as God when he walked on this earth for 33 years. Another question is, why? Because I would certainly want to take advantage of those resources, so why did he not want to take advantage of his God resources? The book of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 gives us some insight. Take a look. We do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. So what we learn here is that Jesus is coming to represent all humanity and to do over and make right what Adam failed to do when he caved to the temptation in the garden that introduced not only sin into his life, but into all of his offspring, us, which results in separation from God for all eternity. Romans chapter five, verses 12 through 14. So to represent us, he had to put himself in the same vulnerable position as us. He didn't want to tap into and take advantages of his divine resources so that he could represent us and empathize with us out of his love for us. Now the question becomes, if you're staying with me, what are the resources that he left behind? What are the advantages that he left behind? Now Paul doesn't tell us in Philippians chapter 2, but when you look at the whole of Scripture, we see that there are three distinct advantages that God has over us. There's more, but there's three really big ones, and what I'd like to do is take out my wallet and take out three cards to represent these three things. The first is my debit card. The second one is my credit card, which, Dave Ramsey, I pay off at the end of every month. (laughs) And my third one is my gold Starbucks card. Oh, the most (laughs) prized one of all. And all three of these have a lot of power in them. If you could get a hold of them for yourself, stay away. Okay? So the first thing, first advantage that God has over us, I'm gonna use my debit card, and it's called omnipresence. Say omnipresence. It's the Latin word, omni is the Latin word all, and it means all presence, or that... God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit can be in all places at all times. Human beings? Not so much, okay? That's one advantage. The second advantage, we'll use my credit card, uh, and it is, we're gonna use the word omniscience. Say omniscience. 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 This refers to all knowledge. God has unlimited knowledge. Humans, not so much, even though some of you walk around like you do. Third one, we're going to use my Starbucks card. It is called omnipotence. Say omnipotence. Omnipotence Omnipotence means all power or unlimited power. God has unlimited power. Humans, not so much. Verse 7 of Philippians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus made himself nothing. What does that mean? The Greek word here, made himself nothing, is kenosis. And in other translations, it reads that Jesus emptied himself. He emptied himself before he came to the earth. So what did Jesus empty himself of before he came to the earth? Going back to the restaurant analogy gives us an easy way to understand what Jesus left behind. Jesus emptied him his pockets, if you will, of these three advantages... The message translation puts Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7 this way. I think it helps. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. So Jesus, who has access to all three of these things, left behind these three advantages and came to our earth, broke. He chose that. Voluntarily chose to walk amongst us, broke in every way. He didn't lose these things. No, he didn't lose these three things. He merely left them behind and did not give himself access to them when he walked on the earth. Now, whenever he resurrected, which we we celebrated last week, and he ascended back to the Father and now is seated. On the right hand of the Father, he now has access to all three of these things again because he is fully 100% God. So he has omnipresence. Jesus is sitting right next to the Father right now and Jesus is with us right now. Yeah. And he's with the church down the street and he's with my good friends, John Snellgrove, who spoke to us from Hong Kong. He's with him And his believers right now, actually it was about 13 hours ago, right? And he's also in a hospital room with Grizzy and his wife Venus as Grizzy from Macedonia Baptist Church is struggling for his life as a young man with COVID-19. Jesus said, where just two or more are gathered in my name, there I am, 100% with them. That's amazing. We also know that Jesus is omniscient. He knows everything again. He knows absolutely everything. He knows when he's going to return. And listen to this. He knows absolutely everything about you. (laughs) And still loves you anyhow. And Jesus is omnipotent. Just like in Genesis chapter 1, when he spoke creation into existence, so again, with just mere words, he will speak a new heaven and a new earth into existence. Amen. 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 So what does it mean that he left these three things behind? If you go back and reread all four of the Gospels, um, I think it'll start to make sense, and you will see it. Number one... If Jesus wanted to go somewhere during this 33 years, he had to walk there just like you and me. What a royal hassle for him. Number two, Jesus didn't know everything When he walked the earth, you're saying, what? This is blowing my mind. He voluntarily entered into a temporary state of divine amnesia. Let me prove it to you. Luke chapter 2 and verse 52 says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, speaking of him as a little boy. Okay, God cannot grow in wisdom. If God knows everything, he cannot grow in any more wisdom unless Jesus left all of that behind and access to it when he walked on this earth. Secondly, when the disciples pressed Jesus for more details about exactly when the end would come, this is the reply that Jesus gave in Mark chapter 13, verse 32. Listen carefully. But about the day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father, As God, Jesus knows everything, unless in this temporary period of time called 33 years, he left his access to that power behind when he became a man. And finally, okay, hold on to your seat, Jesus did not have the power to perform miracles or to heal anyone. You're saying, what? Yeah, I know, but I want you to look a bit more carefully about what the scriptures actually says. There's one incident where Jesus heals a blind man and the Jewish religious leaders who are jealous claim that Jesus used the power of Satan to perform the healing. He used the power of Satan to perform the healing and this is Jesus' response to them, Matthew chapter 12. He says, if Satan drives out Satan, that is his minions, he is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? He's saying, that doesn't make any sense that that I would use the power of Satan to drive out his demons. But if it is by the spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. So here we have it, just like with the resurrection, Jesus relied on the Holy Spirit to heal people and to perform miracles. Wow. For some of you, okay, there's, there's, things are shifting in your mind. Consider it. Consider it, right? I have read this passage and others, but I, I guess I never stopped long enough to ponder what Jesus was actually saying. I guess I just wasn't willing to let Jesus be that human. But when we reread the story of Jesus in all four Gospels, it lines up. Let me make an observation. We don't know much about Jesus from birth to 30. At the age of 30, his earthly ministry begins. He'll have three years to accomplish it all. The inauguration of this ministry begins at an event. Does anybody know what the event is? The baptism of Jesus. When Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River, which I'd love to baptize you in the Jordan River, when Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River, we're told that the Father makes a declaration about Jesus and that the Holy Spirit comes down upon Jesus. Remember that? In John's gospel, it said he didn't just come upon him, but rather he remained with him the entire three years. The Holy Spirit is not making a cameo appearance at the, at the baptism of Jesus, but rather he is coming into the life of Jesus to empower him. You will note that up to this point, Jesus hasn't performed any miracles. Huh. But in the very next chapter, we have the very first miracle of Jesus. What is it? He turns the water into wine at the wedding feast of Canaan. What a fun place to start, right? And think of it this way. The spirit, capital S, turns water into a spirit, small s. I love that. You got it. During, okay, listen to this. During Jesus' 33 years on earth, he voluntarily lived each day and every moment just like you and me. In order to accomplish his mission then, he had to rely on the knowledge of the Father and he had to rely On the power of the Spirit to pull it off. And pull it off, he did. But there's one more thing I want to show you, and it comes from a prayer that Paul offers up to us in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. And I need you to stay with me. I need you to lean in because this is what I've been waiting to tell you. (laughs) Listen to this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Did you see it? Come on, did you see it? Uh, did you see it? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That's, that's pretty good, but I still think I'm preaching better than you're responding. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Come on. Woo. And as we dig deeper into this, we're going to discover some amazing things. If, in case you think I misread this, Paul repeats this in the letter to the Romans because this is, I need some verification. Romans chapter eight, verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So let me ask you a question. How empowered do you feel right now? How empowered do you feel? I'm going to put an empowerment scale up, 1 to 10. I'm going to ask you to identify a number for you and be honest. On the low end, I feel I am powerless. On the high end, I am empowered. Or maybe you're somewhere in between. A couple of years ago, when I went under contract to write this book, originally submitted as Same Power, my publishers always change the title of my books, His Mighty Strength, um, I would have put myself as an eight on the empowerment scale, an eight. I mean, what's my blood type, church? Be positive, positive, right? I mean, like everything is up and to the right for me, okay? Actually, I would would say 10, but I just didn't wanna say it publicly. Right? I'm like, I'm an eight. And then, a couple years ago, we're not going to get into it deeply, but four individuals betrayed a commitment that we made to each other. Ever been there? Ever have someone betray you at a deep level? Well, my reaction to it, like involuntarily, is it sent me into a mental and emotional tailspin. And I've talked to you about it openly for your sake, certainly not for my sake. And I found myself within about a two and a half month period clinically depressed I mean this is not my self diagnosis oh I feel a little blue today this is my family doctor my Christian counselor my psychologist and my psychiatrist all saying the words literally to me Randy you are clinically depressed I experienced a free fall on the empowerment scale from 8 to 2 and the irony of it was not lost on me Here it is, I am under contract to write a book from the largest Christian publisher in the world on how to teach people how to tap in to the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and most days, while I was supposed to be writing the book, I couldn't raise myself off of the couch. So I asked myself the question, were these fresh theological discoveries about the nature of Jesus And his life on earth and his promise of power, were they misguided? Did I get it wrong? Because it certainly wasn't working for me. We're going to talk for the next three weeks about this in detail. But I'm going to do a little spoiler alert. I ended up finished writing the book. Here it is. Walk daily in the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, okay? And here's what I discovered. What these men did to me was evil. I'll never say it was right. Just like what the brothers of Joseph did to him was evil. And finally, Joseph figured out what God was up to. And he said to his brothers, what you meant for e- when, when Joseph was back on the mountaintop again, he said, listen, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God meant for good And I see that now I see that now And here's the deal Here's the deal What I see Is a lot of things But one of the things I see Is that God didn't want this book Coming out of my head He wanted it running through my soul First For your sake And that It certainly did And as we dive deeper Into the life of Jesus We're going to see that what he gave up was to show us the way. He's going to show us the way by how he lived his life to not only experience eternal life forever, but an empowered life today. And I ask you the question, is anybody interested in that? Yeah, I know I am. Come on church, is anybody interested in that? Listen to this. The power to forgive somebody who deeply hurt you or betrayed you. The power to get through a difficult situation with dignity. The power to come alongside of a friend or even a stranger who is struggling and help make their situation better. The power to stamp out fear and to rise above your negative situations. The power to love more deeply. The power to persevere with grace in a difficult relationship, the power to expand your influence and to claim more victories, the power to discover and actually live out God's purposes in your life, the power to be a conduit to God's miracles today, the power to move mountains of impossibility the power best thing of all in the end to rise from the dead just like Jesus that is amazing power and he showed us the way to access it by coming to earth and putting himself broke and vulnerable before us that's how much he loves you and me church I shout out to you from the mountaintops that God is still at work today. I believe it with all my heart. I've seen it with my eyes. The Holy Spirit is still performing miracles today. Do you believe that? you see and he wants to empower your life and I am pretty sure there's some things you may be missing that's keeping you from that and I want to show them to you but he not only powers individuals but he is also empowering his church collectively and when he empowers his church collectively the body of Christ, the family of God the impact is exponential in the book if you get it you're going to read, and I'll talk about it later, that even before I came to Westside, and I'm going to talk to you about this principle in the last week, the still, small voice of the Spirit whispered into my spirit, and I'm going to talk to you about it, the word cities. Cities. And then later, the word world. And over time, I took it to mean that God no longer wants me to be focused on growing one local church. I've already been in three churches that are as big and bigger than Westside. Been there, done that. No need to come here to do that. He said, but there is a place that I have prepared for you to go. That has already laid the foundation. It is not a church that is about holy huddles, but it is a church that has a heart for the city and has a humility for the world. It's called West Side Family Church. And he said, uh, I'm gonna take you to a place that snows. But I'm gonna show myself strong to you in that situation. That in your weakness, I will be strong for you, Randy. But there's gonna be some amazing things. And in the very first year I was here, no credit to me, this is what God is doing amongst us. This is a modern day miracle. In The first year we assembled 110 churches to tackle the margin monster, you remember that? 110 churches, and listen to this, at the end of one year, over $20 million of, of money was saved And over $60 million of debt was reduced. In nine weeks, 9,200 credit cards were cut up, all in time for an unexpected global pandemic. You think God was not in on that situation, right? (laughs) Cities, man, cities. I'm a part of something bigger than one little puny local church. I'm a part of the big C church. And then last week, we just finished the one movement. That not only includes cities, but includes the world. I've just been here three years, folks. It ain't about me. It's about God letting me get in on what he's doing through you, right? And so we just finished it. Some of you are brand new today. You don't know much about it. So I want you to take a look at the story of one. for the very first time to Hong Kong. And we not only met this beautiful land and beautiful scenery, but we also ran into the most beautiful people on the planet. The city is just filled with people. But what I also discovered is that the followers of Christ are strong and they are passionate about their faith in Jesus Christ. And so we got to tour the city, but we also got to help them launch this One Hearing the Word campaign. before we returned back to the united states the people of hong kong the leaders of hong kong asked me if we would consider leading the next campaign i was so excited i immediately said yes without asking anyone back here in the united states and so we told the story and we got to work We came back and we began to share the vision of what the One Campaign would look like in partnership with our brothers and sisters in Hong Kong. And we got to work and the vision emerged. All the churches for eight weeks leading up to Resurrection Sunday would teach through the Gospel of Mark together. And then we would form these watching groups, these small groups, to watch six episodes of the life of Jesus through the eyes of Mark in over 600 languages. And then we would all agree to a listening plan, listening to Matthew, Luke, and John, just for 10 minutes a day, for the 40 days leading up to Easter. And if you committed to the whole thing, you saw every vantage point of the life of Jesus with the hope that the United Church would bring about transformation in the lives of everybody who participated. We were super excited. And then, Out of nowhere, something happened that threatened the whole thing. It's called a global pandemic. You know, in the midst of COVID, we thought that one would kind of be deflated. Our goals were more difficult to achieve. We've not been able to spend the time relationally that we'd like to spend with our other churches and pastors. But in spite of that, we've seen the Church of Kansas City coming together in, I think, probably an unprecedented way. We've had more churches unite together for one than any movement I'm aware of in my experience or my knowledge of Kansas City history. So it's an amazing thing, and it's certainly something we can celebrate together. What began as a vision of three national cities and three international cities has absolutely gone far, far beyond anything we could have dreamt of. And so much of that is because of prayer, gathering with others here in Kansas City, gathering globally through Zoom calls and taking the time to pray and submit this vision to the Lord. He has brought over 100 pastors here in Kansas City together to do this unified initiative. He has brought pastors from other cities in the US and he has brought pastors from all over the world, six continents, to do this initiative together. I really think that this is just the beginning of a national movement and an international movement centered around unity, the gospel, and prayer. February 17th was the launch day of the listening plan where everyone began to listen to the Word of God on this Bible.is app and we began to monitor it. The Holy Spirit took the Word of God beyond the cities that were participating. We saw it go to Denver and to Nashville and to Chicago and we said, how did this happen? The people of God were sharing this experience, sharing the gospel with people outside of the boundaries of our city, and people were taking in the word of God. We have discovered that it has gone virally, virally into 183 countries. There's only like 195 countries total. That it is 94% penetration. The Holy Spirit is alive and well. Well, here's another part of the story that I have to share with you, Westsiders. The reality is you are a generous group of people. You don't want the resources that you give to simply be spent upon yourself, but you want to see the kingdom of God that is in heaven come to earth. And it is because of your generosity, we have been able to do all this. Westside Family Church has been the anchor of this entire experience. And so every single dollar that you give, we take a portion of that to contribute to initiatives just like this, and I hope that just thrills your heart to see how your cheerful generosity is causing the name of Jesus to become more famous, not only in our city, but now even around the world. Thank you. So it all centers on following the pattern of Jesus. There are three distinct things that Jesus did when he walked on the earth that we were were being invited to mimic. And when we do, it gives us access to this same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And over the next three weeks, I'm going to unpack these three things and I will give you insights. But I must tell you, many of you will not come along because what Jesus actually did is a bit much for you. And you will be settling on life in your own power. But I'm trusting there will be a remnant of you. Oh, maybe even more that might dare trust God so much to follow the pattern of Jesus and see something amazing happen. The very first lesson we learn about the pattern of Jesus is that the pathway to the same power begins at baptism. When we place our faith in Christ, when we go public for him, it gives us access, it ignites the power within us. And for those who have not done that, As much as you might want it, you actually do not have access to it. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says that if we will personally declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, that you will be saved not only to eternal life, but in that moment the Holy Spirit will descend upon you and remain with you to empower your life like you never dreamed or imagine so i ask you one final question have you made that decision i'm going to ask all of you to stand on your feet here at speedway those of you watching online i'm going to lead us in a prayer i'm going to ask all of you to bow your head and close your eyes so that no one's looking and if you are following me if you are in on the spirit of this message, then I'm gonna invite you to take both of your hands and place them on your heart as a demonstration to God that you are in. If you're not in, just you know, leave them in your pocket. And then I'm gonna invite you to pray out loud these words to me, to God, with me. Lord, I believe in my heart that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Lord, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is my Lord. I call upon your name. Save me. Dear Lord, I want and need your power in my life. Send your Holy Spirit to me. To remain with me. Now I just want you to. In your own personal time. Whether you're watching online. Speedway here at Lenexa. To just tell God what you want. What you need him to empower in your life. Whatever it is. Betrayal. Illness. What is it? God, listen to the cries of your people and answer their prayers and their lives according to your great love and mercy and your unlimited power. We pray this all in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.